This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 132, and I am interviewing Virgie Tovar, author of You Have the Right to Remain Fat, about why diet culture is so toxic to our self-worth, the influence of sexism on our desire to diet, and so much more. You can find all the links mentioned in this podcast at summerinandin.com forward slash 132. Before we begin, I have two announcements. First, a shout out to... Nicolita, who left this awesome review, loving Summer's view of food and body acceptance, finally someone who isn't touting counting calories, points, or macros, hoping to get to a place where food is just food and I can eat it or not without shame or guilt. She delivers her content in a great way with humor. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that review. Leaving a review helps others to find the show and the information you're learning here. So go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. That includes Spotify. And lastly, don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Virgie Tovar. Virgie is an author, activist, and one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers on fat discrimination and body image. She is the founder of Babe Camp, a four-week online course designed to help those who are ready to break up with diet culture and started the hashtag campaign, lose hate, not wait. Virgie edited the groundbreaking anthology Hot and Heavy, Fierce Fat Girls on life, love, and fashion, and she is her latest book is called You Have the Right to Remain Fat. Virgie has been featured by the New York Times, MTV, Al Jazeera, NPR, Yahoo Health, and Tech Insider. Virgie's amazing. She's one of my favorite people to interview. Uh, she was on the show a while ago, episode 77. So you can check that one out. We talk about different stuff in this one. And much like the previous episode, I know you're going to love it. And definitely go out and grab a copy of You Have the Right to Remain Fat. It is released on August 14th. But if you order it now, it'll be there by the time it's released, which is even better. And pre-orders count towards helping boost those initial sales, which are really important for authors. And it's it's an awesome read. I really, I loved it. And so I highly, highly recommend it. So definitely go out and grab it. And I'm sure you're going to want to after you hear this interview. Check it out. Hey, Virgie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you back. And especially because we are here to talk about your book, 
you have the right to remain fat, which is incredible. So congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for you. It's an amazing read and we're going to be pumping it up today. So that's hopefully a lot of people listening are going to go out and get it because it's an essential book to add to your body positive collection, I would say. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So with that said, let's start by just talking about what inspired you to write the book and what you're wanting people to get out of this. Yeah. Um. I mean, I really wanted to delve into a little like feminist theory, essentially. And to talk a little bit about what that means, right? It essentially, like, I mean, you think of something like memoir, where it's really like this microcosm of a person's life. And a lot of times, right, we relate to those stories, and we we gain meaning and we gain affirmation from those stories. For me, I find there's a lot of value in what happens when we look at a lot of people's stories in in a group and we analyze some of the commonalities and then ask, hmm, what's going on in the culture on a grander scale that might lead to some of these outcomes, some of these behaviors that many, 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 many people share. And as somebody who's um, been working in activist space and also I'm a social entrepreneur, I work with women a lot, um, very frequently, like hundreds, maybe thousands of women. And I lecture at universities. So I get to interact with a lot of people. And, you know, I hear certain stories, I see certain trends over and over and over again. And, And as someone who has academic training, I'm sort of, I've done the work to really try and understand and do some of the historical research and you know, and sociological and anthropological research to understand, right, like a lot of the things that we take for granted as part of our daily lives that we think of as individual behaviors are actually contextual, are actually things that we've learned are part of like a grand, long history um, and are part of like patterns around sexism, racism, like various kinds of different stigmas. And the book for me was really about delving into my greatest passion, which is, you know, cultural criticism or theory, however you want to call it. And so, right, because like I, what I find is when I'm working with people, when I can tell them, right, that like the, the thing that they're doing has a history that began in like 1807, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I can say like this exact thing is what led you to believe that food and morality are connected or this exact, you know, moment in history is the reason that you um, do aerobics or whatever, right? Like, and so, right. And I think that what's, it's so powerful um, to say not only like, wow, you know, you have the right to live a better life, but to also say, and here's all the language you need to understand when those moments that feel gross inside come up. And I think like a lot of times, like I see my work and my contribution and my gift is really to help people, women in particular, decode that feeling that's inside of them, that something isn't right. And in fact, right, like if diet culture, diet culture teaches us that that feeling is us and that feeling is fatness and that we can starve that feeling out. And the truth is it's a history of subjugation that you're feeling like that nasty, gross feeling that something isn't right. There's words for it. There's a story behind it. And this book in a lot of ways is about giving language to those feelings, which I think I mean just helps us stay sane and helps us gain our power back 
in a culture that's continuously attempting to manipulate us through like obscure language, you know? Mm -hmm. And even in your intro, you write, it is with great urgency that I write write to women directly. Like that the, the, the use of the word urgency really stuck out to me because it clearly shows that this is a huge cultural problem. Yes, totally. And, and so I, we were joking around before we started recording that I feel like this, this interview is going to be like that SNL skit with Chris Farley and Paul McCartney, where I'm just sitting here quoting quotes from your book and saying, and it was really cool when you said this <laughs> and just letting you elaborate on it. So uh, <laughs> that's probably where a lot of this is going to go for those of you listening. I'm aware that that's what's happening here, but um, there's just so many amazing quotes in this book. There's so many good nuggets of wisdom that I feel like it's one of those books that people could read multiple times to really get new pieces every time they read it because there's just there's a lot of depth but you put it really succinctly and uh and so yeah so let's let's rock and roll into that because I I there's just so many different things I want to talk to you about but you start in the book talking about your story. And I know you talked about your story on earlier episodes, so we're not going to go into that. But I'd love you to just revisit the part in the book where you talk about the magic of your body as a kid. And, and I and I'm curious to know whether you feel like you've reclaimed that magic. Yeah, so, um, so the, the introduction of the book really is this moment when I'm four years old, and I haven't been introduced to fat phobia yet. And I have this entirely integrated relationship to my body. And, um, and the story is about how much I used to love taking all my clothes off and jiggling a lot. Right. And like, and, and I, you know, and specifically, and it's, it's somewhat difficult to convey through language, like the intensity of the, the, the chemical imprint that the pleasure of my body gave me that I can still recall. That's how like indelible that moment was, how impactful the power of jiggling was for me. And I just had this like extraordinary understanding of my body as like, I mean, first of all, I did, there was no difference between me and my body, right? Like fat phobia and the culture at large teaches us to have this schism that isn't real. But like, you know, my body, I felt like it, the jiggling was this superpower that it had. And, and then my body moved like the water in the bathtub or the water at the pool, which is obviously so magical and wonderful and pleasurable. And, um, and, you know, and through fat phobia, I end up losing that sense of joy and nativeness and integration. Um, and I think what's difficult is, I mean, I've been able to gain a lot of ground back, but I don't think that relationship is ever going to return, right? Because like, I can't, you know, that was a loss of innocence. Like you can't unknow, mm. you know, you can't unknow something um, like, like fat phobia, like the, like, I mean, right. Like, and essentially it was fat phobia for me, but like each one of us, whatever size or gender or race, right. We come to a, a point of loss of innocence in our culture because our culture takes it from us and sort of says like, this is the price of assimilation into our culture. You, you don't get to have this like beautiful relationship to your body. And so, you know, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know. I mean, unfortunately, no, I don't think so. But but I think the good news is I'm able to rebuild this this different, I mean, I would some, call it in some ways more mature relationship, right? Like, and I think what's so magical about that, even though it's different, right? It, it's totally different. Is that it's like the magic of the power of choosing. It's the, it's the magic of like, you know, of something having been taken from you and you rebuilding it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like, there's power in that too, you know. So I mean, I I, I just kind of want to say like I think I think it's still magical, but it's definitely different. Yeah, and there's a lot to it that is is I think from overcoming adversity and you know like the real strength and courage that you that that you have from doing the work that you do and and putting yourself out there. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, let's okay. So I want to start dissecting some of the feminist layers to this. And on the last the last time you were on the show, for those of you that haven't listened to that, that's episode 77. And I'll link to it in the show notes, but definitely go back and revisit that one. But we did we talked about internalized inferiority on that one. But you talk about it in the book in more detail. And you say that it's the engine of diet culture. So I'd I'd love to just elaborate that on I'd love to have you elaborate that on on a little bit more and talk about your experience understanding internalized inferiority and like unpacking that for yourself and how that changed things for you. Yeah, I mean, um in the book I talk about, you know, how I used to think so first of all just even talk about like, what is internalized inferiority? What does that mean? Right? Like, it's like, Oh my God, it's like this really complicated concept in some ways, because right, like, it's the idea that so let's just talk about what inferiority is, right? Like inferiority is, you know, in some ways, yes, it's a feeling, but in a lot of ways, it's an idea, right? And like, let's say you're um, a fat person who lives in our culture, and you kind of through fat phobia have been taught that you are less than thin people. And we can kind of, we can kind of admit because fat phobia is so overt that that's, that's true, right? You can probably access that feeling really easily if you're a fat person. What might be more complicated is if you're a woman, you've also been taught inferiority, but because of like all the different waves of feminism and all the work and the fact that feminism is a lot older and gender equality is a much older fight than the fight for you know, fat activism and body justice, there's been a lot of time to change up the language and like different things, right? So like, so absolutely, for instance, let's talk specifically about gender, women have gotten a lot of legislative um, advancements from where we were 100 years ago, right? Like we have the right to own a company and to drive and to vote and to be employed and to, you know, divorce our partner. Um, Those are all fantastic things that feminists fought very hard for. Um, But what's important to recognize, right, is like there is still a culture where women are expected to give up a lot more than men are. Um, And women are kind of taught to live in service to others. And, And, you know, right, like we kind of, we kind of sometimes soft pedal that to be like, oh, it's just the feminine nature. It's just, it's evolutionary biology, right? Like, Mm. um, but, but in a lot of ways, it's actually about the education women receive and how we are not complete without a man. Um, and that is an inferiority idea, right? Like if you need another person who has more power, who has more privilege than you to complete you or to make you a worthwhile citizen and make you a whole citizen, that's an inferiority idea, right? And we don't use that language to talk about it. But like, what's interesting is you, you read any article on straight dating and you're going to see how it shows up, right? You read any article. I mean, think about Me Too. Think about like any number of the things that are being unveiled right now about the way that women are treated. It's not an accident, right? Like the idea that women can be exploited and should expect to be exploited in certain you know, pass the career path is a clear sign that women are considered inferior. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
So, you know, it, it's harder to see, right? Because no one is standing up and saying, you don't get to do that because you have a uterus. But the lived reality of women, right, is that we're actually living these like half lives or quarter lives. And dieting is a, is a perfect example of it. The fact that women are expected to diet disproportionately, the fact that Women are the ones getting weight loss surgery. Women are the ones giving tons of money away to the diet industry. Women are the ones who are investing in like all of these really intense behaviors that are physically, emotionally, spiritually resource heavy in order to to do what ultimately, right? And, and I mean, at the end of the day, for me, it's like, it, it might be some version of a proximity to a man, romantic access, access to a better job, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so, you know, when you really kind of look back and you peel back the layers, what is that really saying? It's saying that you, um, your life and your happiness and your needs are not that important, right? Like, um, and so again, like when we, when we really like, what's the core of that? Again, it's inferiority. Internalization of inferiority is when an idea kind of exists outside of you and then you get bombarded enough with the education and messaging that it becomes part of your worldview and your lens. Yeah. And this is when it gets really hard to see it, right? Because it's inside of you now. Like if you saw someone else being treated unfairly, it's often easier to point it out and see it outside of you than if it's happening internally. And so what's happening, and I see diet culture as a manifestation of inferiority and specifically like women's and women's internalized inferiority. And the example I use in the book is I'm going into a high school, you know, usually I work at, at college, I teach at, or rather lecture at colleges. And so there's a little bit more often of a, a feminist sort of understanding or, or framework. But like in this high school, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out like, how do I talk to them about a problem? They probably don't even think is a problem, right? Because I, I you know, in, and I'm, I'm in the book, I'm talking about how I'm like, if I went up to each one of these young women in the room and asked, do you feel inferior? They would say no, most mm -hmm. likely. And they might even laugh at me, right? Like there might even be kind of this like, of course not, right? And what I learned as a researcher when I just started, when I started doing this work, um, interviewing um, women in grad school, I learned that sometimes the most obvious question isn't the best question to get to the truth. Right. So what I end up doing is like, you know, I end up talking to these young women and I'm like, okay, I hear you. No, you don't feel inferior. All right. But can I ask you a bunch of follow-up questions that actually might be better at gauging your sense of inferiority, right? Like, so, um, like today, are you wearing something uncomfortable because you feel that it makes you look better or slimmer? This week, did you refuse to eat something you wanted to eat because you were worried about what someone might think of you or what it might do to your body and ultimately affect how other, pe other people think of you down the line? You know, um, are there behaviors you consistently do that you find unpleasant, um, but you feel like you have to do it? And I'm like, ah. and I'm like, okay. And probably most of the people in the room answered yes to at least one, if not all of the questions. And I'm like, all right, but those are questions that are gauging inferiority ideology. So mm -hmm. why is it that you say no to the most obvious question, but you say yes to the questions that actually are better at gauging inferiority? And, um, and that's kind of the question that I pose to the reader, right? I'm like, you know, you've been told that we're in a post-sexist society, right? Before like this current administration, we were like all told that sex, like feminism had won, that sexism was no longer a problem. And if you brought any kind of gender discrimination accusation forward, that you were the one who was like a conspiracy theorist or living in the past or whatever. Um, I think like, obviously we're seeing this cultural moment where we're nowhere near the post-sexism. Yeah. 
but like, I think there's still this sense that, right, that like that there isn't this psychological impact to sexism that women are living with every day. And I'm arguing in the book, dieting is the evidence of that phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Because our, our bodies become the thing that we think we can resolve that with. And yes. I've had this conversation with clients because it's similar. Like, I, you know, be like, what's, what do you know, what do you think about your self-worth or your self-esteem? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. But then like they hate their body and they're completely engaged in diet culture. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like we have to dig to the layers underneath because underneath all of that is that sense of inferiority. And what you say like so, so well, and I'm probably paraphrasing it a bit here is just you say that sense of inferiority is hidden from us and we keep participating in it like unknowingly because we don't realize that it's even there. Yeah. Because we've been taught the script. The mm -hmm. script is you have low self-esteem. No. Do you think you're inferior? No. Do you think women are unequal to men? No. Right. We've, we've been taught that the script has been fed to us and we're just mimicking it. Right. Because that's what we're being told. And I think that again, that's the thing, right? When your body and your behaviors are saying one thing and your mouth is saying another. And I think that this is really common when you're being manipulated, right? Um, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, you know, and I'm, I, in, in my mind, I'm like, let me tell you what a woman who feels powerful and does not feel like she is less than and does not feel that she needs a man in her life in any way to complete her. She looks like a woman who eats what she wants and wears what she wants, right? Yes. And says what she wants. And like, and, and, and so that, that is really, like, and really asking ourselves, not, not blaming ourselves for not being that woman all the time or ever, but rather asking, what have we learned that has created a sense that we cannot be that, that it's created a reality in which it feels courageous to set a boundary, you know? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we're, we're, we are so afraid of what other people will think of us that we, that we hold back from doing things we want to do. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. And so you, you also mentioned like dieting as a survival technique. And so maybe you can kind of like tie those two together or just elaborate on what you mean when you, when you say dieting is a survival technique. Yeah. I mean, the thing, what I've learned in working with lots of clients, lots of women is when women say to me, I want to lose weight. They often mean I want love. I want respect. I want visibility. I want to be seen as successful. I want to be seen as whole. These are human desires throughout time. This is a historical, right? Like every human for all time has wanted love, visibility, a sense of belonging. These are things that humans need. Humans die without those things. And what diet culture says is, let me be the broker. I am the broker to your, to your access to love, respect, visibility, belonging, these human things that we all need or else we die. And so, right, like what faced with that reality, either you can diet or you cannot have love. You can diet or you cannot have visibility. You can diet or you cannot belong to your own society. There is no choice. It is not a choice, right? Um, and so for me, it's like, it is a survival technique because without access to the things that we think diet culture gives us, we die as humans, right? Spiritually. And I think, you know, in some cases physically, right? And so this is essentially what the, what, what the culture is telling women. If you want the things that all humans have wanted for all time, you have to diet. And that's why I'm talking about it as a survival technique. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's, and, and that perpetuates the fear of people like 
Well, I mean, it really fuels fat phobia, right? But it, it also, I think, you know, for people who are perhaps familiar with with any any kind of knowledge about diet culture or health at every size or, you know, body positivity, we'll call it. I think for a lot of people, it still keeps them stuck because they're just they're afraid of, of not having access to those things or losing those things. Yes, totally. Yeah. So like what, I mean, what's your advice to someone in that circumstance, like to, to, to unpack that or to, to, you know, to really reject this idea that we can't have access to those things without dieting. Right. Well, here's what's difficult, right? Like our culture, oh, I mean, here's what's hard. So diet culture does not give you love, happiness, respect, you know, belonging, right? A sense of like a, a real sense of belonging, right? Because a real sense of belonging is not conditional. Mm-hmm. This is what we need to understand. Like real humans, like humans who love you do not have conditions upon you yes. and your weight and your weight or your body size. Yes. Um, so it's important to recognize, right, what the culture is offering you actually when it's saying if you lose weight, if you diet, if you're a good girl, um, <laughs> you know, you get to have access to you know, the thing, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to say this in like a way that isn't like super nerdy and impossible to understand. Uh, it's, just like, it, it's offering you kind of like this, the artificial, but culturally approved version of love, of belonging, of success, of visibility, right? It's kind of offering you like something like it, right? Like it's kind of like the difference between marriage and love right? Those two things are sometimes connected, but not always, right? Like the institution of marriage is about having a particular relationship that's recognized by the state, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And love, love is something that's existed before marriage. It will exist after marriage, right? Um, And so like, it's sort of like there's a, there's a nuance. There's a bit of a subtle difference there, I think in our, in most of our minds, but there is a difference. And I kind of see like, you know, certainly every one of us knows someone who's strategically married for, you know, financial reasons or child reasons or any number of reasons, right? Um, so that's what I'm kind of, that's what I'm trying to pull out and draw out, right? Is like, there is a difference between this mm-hmm. culturally sanctioned, culturally approved, pre-approved package thing and like the kind of real, unmitigated, undisciplined, wild thing that um that humans can like are capable of experiencing together and sometimes they happen at the same time but they don't always and so i mean and and that all that to say one thing that <laughs> one thing that we often don't realize is the culture actually doesn't know how to teach you how to be happy the culture knows how to teach you how to uphold it mm. um and so it's important to like recognize right like there's a difference between privilege and happiness. There's a difference between the pursuit of privilege and the pursuit of happiness. What diet culture teaches you to do is the pursuit of privilege, which we've been taught as a culture is the same thing as happiness, and it's not, right? Um, yes. And this is this is what this is like the crux of the biscuit for me. I'm like the culture just doesn't right. Like the culture's job, the culture's job is not to make you happy. It is to exist by any means necessary. It is to survive by any means necessary, regardless of the cost, right? Um, yeah. And that's not, that's not happiness. And so whatever the culture is like, you know, telling you to do, just keep in mind that its ultimate goal is not to make us happy, right? It like and and I think that like when we really kind of 
sit back and allow ourselves to begin to see these cultural norms as a bit more like a salesman than a benevolent dad, right? You know, we can kind of start to say like, huh, I don't know, like maybe the salesman has like a couple things I want, but like 80 of the things in the salesman's suitcase are garbage. And so I'm going to take the like couple things that I want and everything else has to go. And just to really kind of, I mean, for me, I often suggest to people, you know, just remember that I just feel like what the culture does is I think of it a little bit as a bank, right? And it's a bank that wants you to pay like a 60% APR, right? Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is fight for the 0.04. <laughs> like, yes. Go to the table, right? I'm like, yeah. 60% is ridiculous, but that's really what's happening right now. And I'm like, especially if you're a woman, right? I'm just like, girl, you're getting screwed. Like just go in and negotiate and be like, listen, I like running water. I like, you know, nice sunglasses, right? I'm not saying like there isn't cute stuff that capitalism and all that normal stuff, normative stuff gives us. <laughs> but to say like, you don't get to have everything in my castle because you're giving me running water. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, so to kind of just like go in and be like, all right, where is this? Do the audit, right? Is this serving me? Is it not? If it's not serving you, it's got to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, so I, I think, you know, what I hear is like, there's this fallacy that if we, you know, if we continue to participate in diet culture, it's kind of like this, like they, the carrot, you know, they're like rubbing the carrot in front of you that you're going to get this kind of fantasy, but it's, it's, it's all very much like externally driven, which doesn't actually lead to any sense of intrinsic happiness or belonging or freedom. And you're, you're kind of stuck being this prisoner. And even if it's in a relationship where you think you're being valued, like if you're being valued for your body, that's not a healthy relationship. And so to, you know, to opt out of that is to say, yeah, okay, there's a risk, like I may not have as many suitors or whatever. I don't even know if that's an appropriate word to use. But you know what? I mean, um, <laughs> is that is that the right term? Uh, partners is a better term. And uh, but but it, like overall, you know, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in in a more empowered position and not be stuck in this place where everything I do is dictated by somebody else and the culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I really want to. I've been doing like lately, I've been talking to a lot of, you know, straight women um, who are straight dating, right? And like, I mean, I'm straight dating, so I'm not putting myself outside of that party. But, um, but like, you know, I often say, right, the fact that it's so, so, so difficult for women to not diet, I think should be an indication, not that you should diet, but that like, whoa, we're like in a really messed up place right now, like where women have neither hunger to get access to dudes right and I think like it's it's important to to recognize that um it like you know whenever you get into a scenario where you choose yourself by any means necessary like you know at any cost there's going to be a social cost because god knows the culture doesn't want that happening right um Mm -hmm. but right like to to really remember that it's totally to I think for me to normalize it takes a lot longer to find a partner when you have boundaries and demands and expectations. It takes a lot longer to find a job when you have boundaries, demands, expectations. It takes a lot longer to find friends sometimes when you have like, right. But like at the end of the day, what are you, what are you really losing? Quote unquote, I would argue that you're losing total trash, um, yeah. which is, you know, it's not like, and this is the thing that, that I mean, I think particularly when it comes to romantic access, 
this is what fat phobia teaches us, right? That like, if we're fat or if we're not like a, a very small person, that we're like missing out on all these awesome people who would totally date us if we were just smaller. And I'm like, no, in fact, they are not awesome people. They are assholes. A person who doesn't want to date you because of your body size is an asshole. Yes. Um, and like, you don't want to date them. Trust me. And so I think it's important to like begin to normalize the fact that the timeline is extended a lot, like beyond the point that feels good or rational because <laughs> it's not right. Um, right. But like to remember that sort of right like this is ultimately like this is ultimately the cost of what it means to respect yourself in a culture that doesn't want you to yes well I mean you you said something like when you first started uh talking just then about like making yourself hungry just to be in a relationship like like when you really think about it like that's the literal sense of it that's Mm -hmm. absurd like that's that is absurd yeah. to starve yourself to be to to have a relationship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and like anybody who's doing that should be extraordinarily alarmed by a partner who's witnessing that and is totally fine with it. Like that should be a source of, you know, in my opinion, like rage. I mean, it's unconscionable that someone who says they love you is is a proponent of your not acting on your desire. And I think it's just such a it's such a like allegory in my opinion, right? Like that you would extinct that you expect women to extinguish their hunger in order to be romantically acceptable. Um, and hunger is such a, is such a, like such a, like it's the root of hunger is desire and humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you tell a person to press your hunger, you're saying, don't be human. Don't act on your desire. That's not something that's appealing. That's not something that is like love worthy. And I'm just like, that's super troubling. <laughs> we should be very troubled by this. Yeah, uh, it's it's you know, it's so true. Um, but you know, when it's like, it's like, we become so jaded that we, we don't even see see it. But when you really boil it down to the behavior, it's like, that is that is really disturbing. And it's not to say anyone listening to this and engaging this should feel bad about themselves for doing it again, like it's not your fault. But it's, it's like, it's more just let's really look at what's happening here. So we can take our power back and advocate for ourselves and show like respect ourselves is what you said, like the value of respect. Yeah. And really like, I think one of the, one of the things that this year has been a really big year of recognizing how valuable I am and how I am bringing like a treasure trove. I am a, like my resources, my knowledge, my wisdom, my body, these things are like the castle, right? Like these are the, I've been thinking a lot of the metaphor of the castle and like, who are we giving the keys to our castle? And I think if you're a woman, if you're a fat person, you've been taught that your castle is like three pennies Mm -hmm. and it's not, it's like, it's not a castle at all. It's in fact, like something pathetic and dirty and degraded, but right. Like that's not true. And what would it mean to say, um, actually I am, I'm like a treasure trove that is like it is vast and enormous and immeasurably valuable. Um, and I'm coming to the negotiation table with anyone else with that knowledge that I have this thing and you'd better be worth the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, ta- I was talking to a client like a while back about dating and, 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 and like the, the shift that we talked about together was instead of, instead of her thinking, 
like, am I good enough for him? I was like, well, why don't you think like, is he good enough for me? Like, let's like, let's start looking at it from that perspective, you know, instead of, I think we've just been so conditioned to be like, am I good enough for him? Like, how can I please him? And, and it puts us into this, like, yeah, again, it just, it, that's, I think that's a byproduct of that internalized inferiority for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you do, I mean, there's a whole chapter in the book related to this called thinness, heteromasculinity and whiteness. And yeah, I'll just, I mean, I'll just read one of the quotes, but we don't have to blow blow it up any further unless you want to, because I feel like you've said so much about it, but you say we're taught that men are the key to happiness and fulfillment. And you go on to say that, you know, to really obtain that the method is weight control. And so, yeah, you really go into the relationship between those two things in the book, which I thought was, which I thought was so great because I think it's, it really is about that 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 need and that desire and that want for ourselves that that really keeps us stuck in that cycle. Yeah, and I mean, one of my favorite lines from that chapter in the book um, is right. It's not thinness that is being eroticized; it is submission. Thinness mm-hmm. is a secondary characteristic. It is the submission that is being rewarded. Um, Ooh, yeah. And right, because I mean, and I, I analyze um, other cultures, like in other parts of the world right now where um fatness is the ideal feminine beauty standard and it's right like fatness is considered right the the secondary characteristic of female submission and so it's really important to like take it to the next level girl i'm always like i'm like girl don't just look at your behavior in a vacuum like mm-hmm. where did it come from where did it come from right and it's like it's in our history books it's and right like feminists are writing about this various kinds of scholars are writing about this cultural critics are writing about this and to really say you know like to really recognize that it is not thinness that is attractive it is women being good girls that's attractive yes yeah because i one of the other quotes i pulled was controlling women's body sizes about controlling women's lives yes yeah I mean, yeah, essentially like dieting is about, again, like, you know, when you deny someone's hunger, you deny their humanity, you desire, you deny their desire. Mm. Um, when you like, I mean, period, right. It's like, that's what dieting is about extinguishing the things that make us human. Right. Um, which is just, I mean, that's an atrocity of course. And right. It, it's about the idea of like subjugating women's spirits. And, 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 and like in that chapter, I talk about the connections between diet culture and rape culture and like how, how, like when you kind of can harness a woman's, like if you can confuse a woman about her own hunger and her own desire, she becomes a much more pliable sexual subject, which makes her ease an easier target for rape culture and sexual assault, you know? Mm. Um, and I, I see all of this is connected. It's essentially about these kinds of various mechanisms that are there to subjugate women's spirits because our culture relies upon us not understanding or bargaining through our power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like we're we're getting close to wrapping up, and one of the one of the things I definitely want to talk to you about is you talk about liberation being the desired outcome, and that the focus that's what we need to be focusing on versus acceptance. So, I'd love you to talk about the difference between those two and what liberation means. Yeah, I mean. For me, right, like liberation is like it's one of those goals that kind of just like keeps for me anyway, I'm going to speak on a personal scale. Like it's one of those things that just keeps growing and changing. And it's like this beautiful morphing thing that gets bigger and bigger. Like every time I make a a step towards choosing me and choosing like advocating for women's right, advocating for like these various 
like undoing of things that have harmed humans for a long time. I feel like it's almost like this long, gorgeous, beautiful hallway with all these doors. And I just feel like I keep opening more and like, and then I, you know, and then I open one door and then like five new doors open up. Right. And I'm like stuff that I didn't recognize. And, and I kind of think of liberation a little bit like this. Right. So like when I was dieting and I was deep in my inferiority and I didn't really know what was going on, I felt, I felt like something was wrong um, on kind of a bigger scale, but I was blaming myself for it. And I was punishing myself and self-harming through dieting. And that was how I like essentially reconciled cultural problems. I sort of think of myself metaphorically in this tiny room that like, you know, it was quite small, but it's my entire world. That's all I've ever known. Right. Um, mm. And so I think it's the whole wide world. And then Right. I started to kind of pursue, like I was curious about feminism. I was curious about, you know, what it meant to stop dieting. And like all of a sudden, right, the doors started to open, the windows, they're all windows that weren't there started to appear. And then, you know, I'm at this point now where I feel like there's this whole, you know, door that I've kind of walked out of and I discovered outside that there's actually a mansion, right? That's like, that's mine, that that's me. Mm -hmm. um, and that that room was, was not me, even though I thought that was everything. Right. And so, um, that's how, that's like, in terms of the, the feeling of, of liberation, that's what it feels like, you know, and, and for me, like acceptance is okay. Right. Um, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this and I was like, why would you get right? Like, imagine you're at the grocery store or whatever, you're at a wine bottle shop or something. Why would you get the $7 wine when you could get the $85 champagne? It doesn't make any fucking sense, right? Like acceptance <laughs> is cool. Acceptance is like, you know, it's Shiraz on the $7 level. Um, like, <laughs> right? We're talking about Dom Perignon here. And so, I mean, I think, I think what's hard is like for each person, that process looks a little bit different, but I think the process really looks like, what does it look like when you trust yourself? What does it look like when you hear, when you feel something's wrong and rather than blaming yourself, you ask, you know, what's happening here? Like what's happening on a cultural level? Mm -hmm. Like you're reading books about it and you're talking to your friends about it or whatever. You're listening to podcasts about it. And I think what's amazing is you'll find that, you know, it starts with one breadcrumb and this, this like listening to this interview, this podcast might be the first breadcrumb or a breadcrumb and you just kind of keep going. You kind of pursue it, right? You listen to your desire. It might be hard at first, but you, you know, when, when even a little tiny voice comes up, like practice listening to it, then suppressing it, right? Even if it's tiny, like, oh man, I really want, you know, I really want like a cherry on my, on my drink or whatever. Like I really want a tiny umbrella. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like that is just a tiny, tiny, tiny impulse that you can act on that leads you to the next one and leads you to the next one. Right. And like all of a sudden you're living in this like, um, integrated way where you know what you want and you mm -hmm. know what you don't want. And that might take a long time depending on where you came from, but like, it's this extraordinary, magical and very generative process. And so for me, like that's the difference. Like acceptance is saying, okay, I'm going to ask to be on the, on the team that we know sucks. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't get acceptance from people who have been assholes to me for years. <laughs> I don't want that. Right. I don't want that. I want something better. I want something bigger. Um, and so liberation to me is saying like, I'm good. Your team sucks. Your, I don't want a slice of your pie. I want to make my own pie. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, right, like, and that's that's someone else's question. Like, like, is it Eleanor Roosevelt? I don't know, but it's somebody. Um, <laughs> but like, I think it's really that difference between like, I don't want your nasty, disgusting pie. I don't want a piece of it. I don't want a sliver of it, which I consider acceptance. Like, I want to make my own pie with my ingredients and my favorite berries. And I want to like have it crisscrossed on top. And I want there to be like a unicorn cut out on it. And like the culture's never going to give me that. And so I'm like, okay, I gotta make my own pie then. And so that's kind of, that's like, those, those are the differences for me. Yes. Uh, I'm all about the Dom Perignon and like make your own version of pie and not have the $7 Shiraz. <laughs> like, there's so many good metaphors that you just laid down. <laughs> Can I come to your castle for your homemade pie and Dom Perignon? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I think, I mean, I think it's, I feel like acceptance is almost like a step along, like it's an easier step along the way to go from like kind of just being so in it and hateful and everything else. But you're right. Like we can't, we can't stop there. We have to want more for ourselves to get to, and it is by taking those breadcrumbs, like you said. Yeah, and we deserve it, right? It's not like you don't have a moral imperative to be free. I mean, I mean, I personally don't believe that any human being, if they don't want to be free, they don't have to be, right? It's not a moral imperative, but rather like recognizing that that you deserve that, that you deserve more than um just like the nod from the culture that's been oppressing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you deserve more than that. And like, what would it look like to be like, wow, you know, this is great, but um, but um, what more can I ask for? And I'm always, I'm always advocating for women to be like, uh huh, that's cool. What else can you give me? Uh huh, that's nice. How about a little more? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And like, I think, and I mean, in talking to women about like even salary negotiation, I was reading this article. I God, I don't remember um, where it was, but it was about like, you know, how, um, like women having whisper networks around, um, salary negotiation and talking transparently about how much money they're making and how often they sometimes bring in like a dude friend. Cause he's often making like 40% more than even the highest paying woman in the group. And in my mind, it's like, well, just, you know, what, like, what would you do if you're a mediocre white dude? What would you be asking for then? Would you be asking for acceptance or would you be asking for like the Maserati girl? You know, yes, <laughs> yes. There, yeah, there's that meme that says like, oh, I can't remember it. I'm going to butcher it, but it's about going through life like a like a white man or something. Like it's like yes. treat, yeah, like not the. Recommend. Sorry, go ahead. I, I cut you off there. I highly recommend just like push it a little bit further, ask for a little bit more, and like keep asking for more in life and in work and in your relationships. And I think I think that that's the way to go personally. I mean, I'm on board with that. I, I'm getting on that train. And I think it's, you know, our pleasure has been something that we've been made to feel like not unworthy of and undeserving of and ashamed of. And the more that we can, and, and this is not just tied to pleasure, it's obviously much broader than that. But even with the simple steps towards like, you know, just advocating for more pleasure for ourselves, like just the umbrella on the yes. drink, like you said. <laughs> yes. yes. Amazing. Well, I we have to wrap it up here, which I think is a good spot to kind of land. Tell everyone just a little bit about the book release and where they can find it. And I'm going to link to all this stuff in the show notes. Yes. So the book is coming out on August 14th. It's called You Have the Right to Remain Fat. If you're listening to this interview before the 14th, you can pre-order via Amazon or 
feministpress.org. I'm going to be doing a number of author talks and um, a book tour. Um, Look at my website if you want to see if I'm coming to your city. It's www.virgietovar.com, B-I-R-G-I-E-T-O-V-A-R.com. And then I'm active on Instagram at virgietovar.com, or rather at virgietovar. And the final thing is I have a weekly column that comes out on Thursdays called Take the Cake on ravishly.com, R-A-V-I-S-H-L-Y.com. Awesome. I'm going to link to all of those in the show notes. As always, it is such a pleasure. Time flies when we're uh, talking. (laughs) And I love it. You are you are just one of my favorite people to connect with. And I'm thrilled about your book. I everyone needs to go and get it. Everyone needs to highlight it like I did. And just use it to like really fuel the desire in you to do this work for yourself for others. And to really change this culture. Like it's just yeah, it's there's just so much goodness in it. So well done. And I know people are going to love it. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Oh, thank you. Rock on. That was so good, right? I could talk to Virgie forever. She's just one of the smartest and nicest individuals out there. And uh, as if you love that, you're going to love her book, You Have the Right to Remain Fat. So you can find the link to that in the show notes for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 132. Go out and get it. It'll be on your doorstep by next Tuesday and you'll be able to plow through it in a week and feel so much smarter and informed and ready to fight back against all of the bullshit messaging that we are given on a daily basis. All right. I will be back again next week with a new episode, another amazing author teaser. And uh, until next time, rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.